with Morgan streaking. She's trying to go. The pay disparity between the men and women is, is just too large and, and we want to continue to fight. Uh, the generation of players before us fought and now it's our job to, to keep on fighting. The pay cap for the women's Major League Soccer players is 11 times less than the pay cap for men's Major League Soccer. 11 times. Rapino gets across him. Listening to Give and Go with Rotas Wadera only on Girls Soccer Network. Hello and welcome. This is episode 26 of Give and Go. I am your host, Rotas Wadera for Girls Soccer Network. Thank you so, so much for tuning in. We're here from Los Angeles, California. It's getting a little hotter. Now I'm starting to finally see that LA heat that everyone was talking about. It wasn't as bad in August, but it's really starting to pick up now in September. But we have so much to get into in this show. Two really incredible interviews, one with the queen of caps, Christine Lilly. She has a new book coming out. This interview is all about that, along with a couple other questions about where her competitiveness came from and some other things about her career. So you definitely want to stick around for that, as well as an interview with Division II head coach of Cal State San Bernardino, LeBaron Holloman. Really kind of provides a next level of insight into Division II college soccer. He was a former professional indoor soccer player himself. So we have that on the show as well and so much more. One thing I wanted to do, though, which I think would be kind of cool before we get into all the soccer talk, and before we you know, get into how you can subscribe to the show, uh, since we've switched to Red Circle, we can actually see the top downloads per city. So I wanted to give a quick shout out to the top five cities that have downloaded this show the most. Coming in at number one, San Diego, California. Thank you guys so much. Not too far away from here. Coming in at number two, Sequim, Washington. I hope I pronounced that correctly. All right, coming in at number two. You guys have been downloading a lot more recently. We really appreciate that. Coming in at number three, Naperville, Illinois. I would assume we've got some Red Star fans downloading. Thank you. Number four, one of my favorite city names of all time, Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Coming in at number four. Thank you, guys. Keep spreading the word. And coming in at number five, Denver, Colorado. Number six, of course, New York. Number seven, L.A. So, West Coast, East Coast, we're all over the place here, but again, thank you guys for downloading and showing support. Again, you can check it out at girlsoccernetwork.com, right? We've been posting about it on our Instagram as well, at girlsoccernet, which is our Twitter handle, and then our Instagram page is at girlsoccernetwork. Again, you can download this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Spotify, iTunes, so you can get it in a lot of different places. Again, you can also tell Siri to subscribe to the podcast if you want to as well, which makes things a whole lot easier and you can just download and, and stay up to date that way. Okay, without further ado, right, we want to get into everything that has happened, a lot to get into. First and foremost, a crazy weekend of NWSL action over the last couple weeks, and we want to recap that before we get into a lot of other interesting news. But first, most recently, Chicago able to get back on track. They were in a bad run of form recently. Tough, tough luck for them. Just really a bad run of form against bottom tier teams here, like Sky Blue, who has been playing better, Orlando, who has been playing a little bit better. Still, you can't afford to not get results against those teams at this stage of the season. However, they were able to win 2-0 over Houston. 
Sam Kerr, double, as per usual, able to get in behind Houston playing way too high up the pitch, and if you give her that space, she's going to make you pay. And that's what Sam Kerr does, so easy money for the Red Stars. Big win for them. They're going to be sitting around that you know third, fourth spot in the playoff standings, and the hunt is going to be very, very tight, so every point counts. Big win for Chicago. Next up, what was very interesting the courage against Sky Blue this past weekend. You'd think that the courage from start to finish were just going to dominate, but in reality, it was opposite day, almost. It was it was bizarre. Sky Blue had less possession, but they had created all of the clear-cut chances and had a real good opportunity to have a big lead going into halftime, but it was only 1-1, and then the courage came out in the second half and really put the pressure on, got the second goal from Crystal Dunn, and then didn't look back from there. But still, a very great first-half performance from Sky Blue, but not enough over a sustained period of time to beat the courage, and now the courage are in a great position to leapfrog Portland because they have two games in hand, and they're only two points behind Portland. Now, of course, these two teams, Portland and North Carolina, are squaring off midweek on September 11th in Portland. It is going to be quite the game. I mean, what a big matchup at this stage of the season. So if the Courage lose to Portland, right, that means the Thorns extend their, their lead to five points with a game in hand. So if the Courage were to win that remaining game, they would only still be behind by two points which would be huge, right? The Thorns need to maintain that lead. If the Thorns lose this game, you know, the Courage would absolutely be in the commanding position because they play Orlando in that next game, and they would definitely leapfrog the Thorns for that first spot, and I don't see them relinquishing it at that stage. One final thing to kind of get into from this crazy NWSL weekend, the match that went on between Utah and Portland it might just be one of the more memorable matches in NWSL history. I mean, we're talking about what transpired during the game. It, an emotional affair, to say the least, on so many levels. First, you have, um, and and this I thought wasn't necessarily a bad thing. This was when you had Emily Sonnet pulling down Kristen Press unnecessarily, and then A-Rod absolutely going full mom mode on Emily Son, and this blew up over social media, and the NWSL gets its own meme, which is incredible, but Emily Son, it's kind of looking at A-Rod like, look at this crazy lady coming at me with her mom face, and, and the fa- she's got the finger point in her face, it was just so great to see that level of passion and intensity and then of course sonnet got sent off and then on top of that you have lindsey haran retaliating later on with the push down okay so you know i think there there were mixed uh, feelings about this saying no we need to conduct ourselves in a certain way we're professionals they need to keep their composure and then you have others who are going to say no this is good we need this level of passion and intensity they're competitors this is going to happen i tend to side on the competitiveness and passion side of the game because that's what we are these athletes love to compete and win and that's you know the bottom line and emotions will get in the way and i feel like some players don't necessarily let their emotions come into play enough a rod is not one of those players she plays with that level of intensity and fire and passion 
all the time. So there's no doubt when you see it with her. That was just an, a very interesting moment to see that kind of flashpoint here in the NWSL because it's not something that happens very often. But again, that level of passion intensity, that's what we need to see more of, honestly. However, what we need to see less of, and this is something that we have absolutely no room for in sports, it's an epidemic, unfortunately, that has failed to be eradicated for so long, and that's racism in sports, and unfortunately, you know, the day after the game, both teams on their Twitter pages released an official statement about there being allegations of racial abuse towards Adriana French in goal in Utah. You know, you had fans tweeting out during the game kind of what was going on to stadium officials that people were saying such and such things like racial epithets and whatnot. And again, absolutely no room for it whatsoever. And it doesn't really matter where it happens, right? Because this is something that we see everywhere, both the men's and women's side. You saw Romelu Lukaku just moved for Manchester United to Italy to play for Inter Milan. And the, some of the Italian, you know, traditional fans over there were not approving of him and made monkey chants. I mean, that's how bad it is. Even in the same state of Utah, where the Royals fan base, you know, is going to be called into question here. In that same area, right, Russell Westbrook got into it with a fan and then that fan was banned for life from the stadium. The Utah Jazz owner of the NBA came out in support of Russell Westbrook, which was a great thing to see, and kind of just nipped it in the bud and said, there is no room for this, and we will not have any of it. And so hopefully once you know the Royals and the Thorns are able to do more investigation into this, we can find the culprit and take the correct action and set an example for this moving forward because again no room for this whatsoever it's really sad to see it happen in the nwsl at this stage especially to someone who is the two-time goalkeeper of the year one of the best in the game one of the best at what she does it's not something uh, that she deserves and this is a problem that has you know it, it seemingly decreased in the early 2000s eventually you know it, it it all just comes back in an, in an even bigger wave it, it really does and it's gotten almost even worse now we've almost regressed and we're getting it's getting to a point where we need to draw the line in the sand and real steps need to be taken and fifa and everyone else can talk all that they want to talk about making actual changes but in reality nothing has been done but again we'll have to see within the coming days what both teams are able to find out regarding this matter there was also a brief international break in between, right? We had the victory tour continuing, the U.S. women's national team taking on Portugal. And, of course, it was an easy win. It was an expected win. They won 4-0. But what I wanted to talk about briefly was Carly Lloyd. Age 37, scores two more goals. And I just wanted to take this opportunity to talk about mindset and what your overall mindset needs to be on a daily basis in order to be successful. She's 37 years old. She has won everything that you have needed to win as a professional athlete and she has achieved everything that she could possibly achieve ever. She could retire right now if she wanted to and no one would say anything. They would be grateful and thankful for what she has done for you know women's soccer here in here in the united states right but that's the thing 
Carly Lloyd is not satisfied. Not for one bit. She still has that big old chip on her shoulder with something to prove to say, no, I can do more. I was doubted. I've been doubted. I even was doubted before the World Cup, going into the World Cup. How much, how many minutes should I be playing? Can I still do it? And all she's doing is scoring goals. Still. It's that hunger that I, I relate it to to the Mamba mentality, since we're out here in LA, right? Kobe Bryant, the Mamba mentality, the attack-mindedness every single day to just go after it, to be relentless. Because the more relentless you are, nothing is going to want to stay in front of you. People will willingly get out of your way and the path will be provided for you when you are that relentless in how you attack and how you prepare. And that is exactly what Carly Lloyd brings to the table when she steps up to the plate every single time. She might not score, but she's going to put in the work, and you're going to see her put in the work every single day. And that's what she does, and that's what we see again as she continues to do it. And she's going to continue to score, and who knows, she's you know going for her own records herself. She's trying to pad those stats a little, if you will. So we'll see if she's in for another Olympic cycle as well. Who knows? But that was just something I wanted to touch on. It's all about your mentality. No matter who you are, no matter what age you're at, it's all about mentality. And that's what makes Carly Lloyd's mentality so special. Even so much so that I would hope and pray that when her soccer career is over, she could get into football kicking and maybe kick for the New York Jets because we could use a kicker right about now. But that's that's for another day. I had to throw in my little Jets piece there. But Carly Lloyd, we love you and thank you for really being an inspiration with how you conduct yourself really as a professional every single day and it's something to really admire and and strive to be and and really kind of look towards and, and really work towards as well okay without further ado we have the interview with christine lilly the queen of caps talking about her latest book here it is guys enjoy Christine, congratulations uh, on your latest book titled Powerhouse, 13 Teamwork Tactics That Build Excellence and Unrivaled Success. What are some of the reasons you decided to create this book and how difficult was it to get all of your thoughts on paper? Well, you know, my life was the national team and I I share all these great stories with people and um, mainly the soccer world. And then I met this couple when we lived in Austin, Texas, uh, John and Lynette Gillis, who are the co-authors of the book with me. And uh, we'd chat around about it, share the stories of the team. And then he'd be like, he's in the business world. And he was, he was always like, you guys have such a great message, not only for the sports world, but for organizations. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they came to visit when I moved back to Boston in uh, May over a year ago. And we sat down and we were really just like, you know what? We could combine this. You could share your stories of the success the U.S. Women's National Team have, and I could parallel to the business world. And so I was like, all right, great. And, you know, you'd have these conversations, and you never think something's going to come up. And then, you know, we were like, let's do this. I was like, all right. So we co-authored the book and did a lot of work, did a lot of interviews with my teammates, and, um, you know, just came out in May of this year. So uh, it's been – hard I think it was easier playing soccer (laughs) um but it's been so great because I think it's such a I think it's a great book but I think the stories from the national team will really you know connect with people and um not only in the in the sports world but the business world so hopefully people enjoy it 
So of all of the people that you were able to speak with for the book, who do you think was able to give you kind of the best interview, the best tidbits for the book that you guys are putting out? Right. So I think what well, that's, uh, that's great that you asked that because that's one of my that was one of the most difficult things for me and the most rewarding because John, uh, the co-author, he's like, okay, we need to get these interviews going. I'm like, okay. And, you know, we have Michelle Akers, Abby Wambach, um, Mia, Julie, Carla, Brandy. And I was like, the last thing I wanted to do was to add something else to their play by saying, hey, could you do an hour interview with us? <laughs> so I was really kind of like holding off and John's like, we need this. I'm like, okay, okay. So I text them or email them and literally like, there wasn't a breath of like, okay, let me know when you need me. And for me, that was not surprising because I live with these women for, over, you know, 15 years and know how they click and how we care about each other. Um, but it was just so like, oh, so awesome. And then the other part is it, when you ask which one has the best tidbits, it wasn't just one, it was all of them. And for me, what really reiterates this book is the stories that each player shared or well, they were different stories, but they're so consistent to the message that this book is sharing. And, and that really was like, wow, this is a, this is a good thing for us. And, you know, Carla would tell a story and then Julie would tell a story and they were just like similar. And it wasn't like we're making this up, you know. <laughs> so there was reasons why we were successful and how we came together as a group um, to be, you know, a great team to win championships, but really be better people and good teammates to each other. And what are some of those qualities that you talked about that you felt were brought up time and time again? Well, I think the common theme with a lot of this in the book was trust and respect. And I think when you look at it being part of any team or organization, you know, you got to have that. If you don't have that, all the other elements that we have in this book aren't really going to fall into place. And people would continue to resort back to that. We, you know, we trusted each other and we respected each other. We may not agree on everything that we did, but we respected you know, the people and, and what they stood for and what they, how they worked. And so that was really a common theme um, for us. And I think the other one too, is that we, you know, we had fun. We enjoyed, we were enjoying what we were doing and we enjoyed being around each other. And um, for me, those elements are so important if you're going to be a part, be a part of anything. So um, those were pretty um, similar. And the, and the other one, I mean, there's so many, but I, when I think back, the other ones, well, we worked our butts off. Mm-hmm. You know, we worked hard. It wasn't just like this just was handed to us. We worked hard to be the best, and uh, we pushed each other to make that happen. What would you say is the impact that you'd like this book to have for people reading this around the world? Well, I think that you can be better, and I think as a group, as an individual, um, you can be better, and I think that's another underlying theme on the national team was, you know, we are the best, and we could have been like, oh, yeah, I'm a starter, I'm all set. But we never set on our morals. We never got complacent. We always knew we could be better. And there are always little things that we did to change to be better. And I think when you look at organizations, you know, the successful ones, yeah, you're being successful. But what can you do a little bit better to be more successful or make a bigger impact on someone's life? And I think that's what this book, I think, can do for people and I hope will do for people. And you talked about how you never were complacent. Mm-hmm. Where did this, where did your competitive desire and willingness to be a team player and to be that competitor come from? Well, I think everything starts with the family. I mean, our, our family was sports oriented. Um, and, you know, one rule in our house was that you couldn't, you couldn't give up on something. You had to, even if you didn't like, you had to finish out whatever it may be. And that happened to be piano for me. 
uh, <laughs> my mom was like, you can't quit. I'm like, okay. So I had to, you know, finish it out for whatever the months that we decided on. And I think that was part of it. I also have an older brother and, you know, we always play games and competed and uh, I have that competitive nature inside me. And I think the whole team concept, uh, I, I just think I, all the sports I played growing up were, were team. It wasn't individual. So I always knew I had other people that either could help me or I could help. And I think that just kind of resonates throughout my years of playing different sports, not just soccer. And then joining the national team and the culture that Anson started early on in the late 80s, mid 80s, just to play for each other. And that this team's bigger than you. It's not just, it's not about you. It's about the growth of the game and the, the success of this team. And based on kind of with this book and your, that overall competitor in you, is, is coaching something that you've ever thought about getting into in the future? Well, right now, um, I, I coach my kids. So I'm coaching youth, and uh, I've done camps for the last 24 years. Every summer I run camps. I do a camp business with Mia, Ham, and Tisha and Trini called Team First Soccer Academy, where we travel around the country and teach kids. So I am coaching now. Uh, I did some college coaching, University of Texas, for a bit from 14 to 17. And um, I just, I like the kids. I like the young kids. I like training them to be better players and also be better people. So right now, this is the, the taste I'm having for coaching that I like. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned your kind of relationship with, with Mia Ham, And how mm-hmm. much did it mean for you to have her write the forward for this book? Oh, it's awesome. I mean, and that's the thing uh, or that, that is so incredible about these people. Like, they're, they were my teammates, but they're my friends and people that I respect. And I, we talked about that already. But it's people that I have invested my, my time in on the field, but also invested my time in off the field as um, friends. And, you know, we asked Mia. She's always asked to do a lot, too, so I was really reluctant a bit to do that because I didn't want her to feel obligated. And um, and she was like, yeah, you know, um, I'm in. And her forward is, is pretty awesome and just really sums up what, what our team was about. And uh, I'm, I'm just really grateful and thankful that she contributed to, to this book. And, you know, you guys are so close, and we know that she's working on bringing a potential professional team to the NWSL. And... There were r- reports about you and an ownership group potentially bringing a team to the New England mm-hmm. Boston area. Uh, are there any updates on that? Is there anything kind of moving? Um, right now, uh, Mia's end. I don't have that information on our end. You know, we're we're still in in waiting to hear the you know the NWSL's acceptance into the league. I th- obviously, twenty twenty is is probably not going to happen. Um, but I think, you know, the group I'm working with, we're, we're working with another group from Mohegan Sun too. So I think we have people involved that are invested and interested in, in the women's game. And I think not just interested in, you know, money or whatnot. So you really have to be the interest in the, in the game first. And I think we have that. And, uh, you know, we're just putting more pieces together on our end and then, you know, seeing what other elements we need to um, bring to the league. So this is a hypothetical that uh, I've definitely <laughs> thought about. Uh, when you look at between the 99ers and the 19ers, uh, I know the World Cup just wrapped up, to, to me, two of the greatest teams in American sports history. Mm. But if in their primes they were ever to go up against each other, 
Who will win? Yeah. Uh, it's a good thing we'll never know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting. You know what? I think you look at elements of the game when we play elements in the game here, and they've probably changed a bit more. I mean, these players are, you know, strong. I mean, I look at the college kids, and I just look at the size of them like, holy cow. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think the game's definitely grown. Um, but I think if you look at both teams, and I think – the character and the mentality and all that were so similar. And that's why we were on the team in 99. That's why they're on the team in 19 um, representing your country, because we had those elements that were the best to out of the, the best of the country. And so when you take those two things, I'd, I'd rather have them as teammates and go, go up against them in a game. What is your kind of message to to young girls out there looking to kind of just get into soccer and why should they read the book in order to do that? Right. Well, I think first off, if you're, you know, looking to get in the game or be a part of something, look for something that you're going to enjoy and that you want to do, not that your parents want you to do it or someone else that you want to do and go hard after it. Don't think it's just going to be handed to you for different reasons you got to work you got you got to put the work in the coach will guide you and give you the information and then you got to put it to work and i think that's really we're, we're missing sometimes with these kids they're waiting to see what oh what do i get for this and what do i get for that and i think putting the work in is what you get is what you get out of it is you know the results on your end and i think um i think the book's just a good tool for people to read to motivate them a bit um, to realize that we all make mistakes and we all have some flaws, but we push through and we try to bring out the best in each other. And I think this book really provides examples of that. It's not all fluffy and, you know, all things went smoothly uh, for us to be successful. There was a lot of um, ups and downs, ups and downs in, in our time, but we, uh, we kept going together, came together as a team to try to be the best and to make each other better. And I think this book would just give a lot of inspiration and just good reminders to people that they can take and just have in the back of their pocket for future things. Again, that was Christine Lilly talking about her book, Powerhouse, 13 Teamwork Tactics That Build Excellence and Unrivaled Success. Again, I've also written a book review about this book, which you can also get on Amazon. It's on uh, girlssoccernetwork.com right now. You can go check it out there as well. But again, just getting the opportunity to talk with her, I mean, what an absolute honor. She truly is a class act in every way. And just to see what she's about, I mean, just really, truly humble in every single way. Doesn't want all the attention, doesn't want all of the act. She just wants to help. Doesn't matter who it is. Right. That's why even when I asked her about getting into into coaching at a higher level, she told us she was just like, nope. you know, she did that, had dipped her fingers in the college realm. And I think, you know, to say that you're satisfied doing it at the youth level, you know, with your kids, like what could be better than that? Right. I mean, that's truly what it's all about to do it at that level. That's, you know, another place where you can really make a difference. So it really was amazing to to get to speak with her and again that book is rich with um just tremendous nuggets of information again brandy chastain carla overbeck some incredible um one-on-one interviews just tidbits and life lessons that you can use at any point in your life especially because you're going to be working in teams all the time you cannot avoid it 
no matter what, at different points in your life, you're going to have to work with someone or other people in order to, to reach a common goal. And so that's why soccer and sports is a great way to kind of bridge that gap and get people to work together. And so that's kind of one of the main things that is touched on in this book as well. Now a word from our first sponsor, Striker Elite. Based out of Las Vegas, Nevada, Striker Elite develops confident, creative, and elite players in soccer and for life. After instructing players seeking to play at the highest level, Coach George Nahorski quickly recognized the need for an environment that helped these players excel at a rapid pace. That's where the creation of an academy that would specialize in training soccer players was born. Focusing on player development, the curriculum at Striker Elite emphasizes technical skills, tactical awareness, mental toughness, character, leadership, and confidence. They currently have U.S. Development Academy, ECNL, ODP, and college players at Striker Elite, as well as aspiring players seeking to play professionally. Striker Elite trainers are qualified and have extensive playing and coaching experience. Whether you're a club player looking to take your game to the next level and become a college or professional player, they will help you fulfill your goals. They provide elite one-on-one training, partner training, small group and team training, plus elite camps. For more information, go to www.strikerelitesoccer.com. All right, now we're back in September, which means school is back in session, which means college soccer is back. It's going to be a tremendous college soccer season, some really great teams in the mix to win it all. It's so early on in the year to really be able to tell who's going to be there at the end, but I think, you know, you can generally tell there's the usual premier cream of the crop teams who are just amazing throughout the entire year and never really fall off either. So you have really kind of those two dynamics. Early on, of course, North Carolina, five wins in five games. They've never, haven't really been tested that much yet. I think the big storyline is USC taking out Florida State in overtime in what was an instant classic. Penelope Hawking, one of the best young strikers in the country, scoring the game winner with a calm finish. USC is, of course, going to be in the mix. Florida State, the defending champs last year, you might remember they started off pretty slow and then caught fire in ACC play because they finally got all of their international players together on the pitch at the same time. So they were just unstoppable. Who knows if that's a similar case going on this time. Again, they're looking to repeat as champions. They're going to be in the mix as well. Anyone in the ACC or Pac-12 that's in that upper echelon is going to have a say come tournament time. Another interesting story, Virginia has a freshman right now, Diana Ordonez, a name to keep an eye on. Freshman has nine goals in her first five games with two assists as well, leading the nation. Basically, this girl is going to, I think, go on to really do big things. Again, it's non-conference play, and ACC is when things are going to get ratcheted up a little bit, and teams are going to start to really hone in on her and try to stop her but if she keeps scoring like this man she's going to be a, a another college star to to look forward to and that too at UVA another school that has produced pros but to be able to continue that I believe Veronica Latsko was you know this groundbreaking striker who had scored a ton of goals there and now Ordonez could be the next in line to do the same. All right, now we have our second interview of the episode. LeBaron Holloman, the head coach of Cal State San Bernardino. Here it is, guys. Enjoy. So, Coach, how was uh, the preseason, and how do you feel about your team heading into this season? Uh, we're still in preseason, but first week is out of the way, and it's, it's, it was wonderful. 
you know, they're, they're, they're working hard, they're the right attitude. Uh, and for me, they're, they've all um, blended well with the culture, you know, and, and they get along for now, you know, but uh, it's a, the signs are great right now. Great that, um, you know, we're going to have, I know we'll be better than last year and uh, we'll, we're definitely going to be, we'll compete. We're going to compete hard this year. And, you know, you mentioned the, the culture that you've started to, to create there. What are some of the goals that you and your team have heading into the season, and how do you plan on achieving what you've set out to do? Uh, are you talking culture goals or performance goals? Uh, both. Okay. Well, culture goals is, is we operate with uh, six core principles, right? And the core principles are always together, resilient, disciplined, hardworking, and ownership. As far as the culture goes, we always want to. Always, we're always making sure that those those principles are driving our, our actions and our decisions. And then what we did was we put operational definitions to them, so everybody knows what we mean by always, what we mean by together. And so everybody's operating well. That's the goal: is to get everybody operating, you know, with those core principles driving their decisions and their actions. Um, and so that's that's for the culture piece. It's the goals for the season is for us. It's simple. It's win games, right? Like everyone else, win games. But we we want to win in a way that that you know we want to make it hard. We don't want teams to want to play against us because we make it so difficult for them. And that's kind of the, the the umbrella goal that we're working with. And so as you kind of go throughout the season and you want to kind of maintain that level of of being a tough team to play. When you go through those tough moments, such as a losing streak, bad luck with injuries, what are some of the things that you kind of tell your team as you go through the season? That, that's where our core principles come into play. You know, um, for instance, together, our definition for together is one unit supporting and pushing one another. You know, so we make sure we're supporting, you know, whatever player that's injured, you know, but we're also pushing them to get back, uh, you know, doing the right things to get back. Our, our core principle of resilience. Right. And for me, it's, I remind them of these core principles. Right. And, and our definitions for us, resilient means never giving up. OK, so, you know, we're saying, look, if we're if we're going to be a, a team that's about these core principles, then this is where we're at right now. Right. We're in a losing streak. Okay? We need to be resilient. Right. Um, you know, we need to be hardworking. And for us, that's pushing past limits. Right. And uh, and then the biggie for me is ownership. We, you know, everybody has to take ownership. And for us, is we don't place blame or make excuses. So I guess the answer to that is once we hit those adverse moments, it's really doubling down on those core principles and why, why we want those to be in place. And those core principles, are those things that you really look at in the, in the recruiting process in terms of their mental makeup, their physical makeup, and how that all kind of factors in? Kind of. Yeah, there's some things that, that you can see, for instance, like, you know, uh, resilient. We can kind of see resilient a little bit, you know, in them. It's, we don't, to be honest, it's not something that we take with us in our recruiting platform because it's kind of hard to see some of those things. Uh, we'll talk to them and, and maybe try, you know, ascertain some of that stuff. But um, some of them are hard because... You know, the way the process is, it happens so fast. If we had more time to really vet, you know, the player and, re vet and really vet that recruiting process, absolutely we could find out more of this stuff. But, you know, when it's – you have an, an identified student athlete, well, 
they've been identified by probably three or four other schools as well. Mm -hmm. So you got to kind of move a little bit quicker, you know, just to make sure, you know, that, uh, you know, you're in the hunt to, to get the signature of that player. So you don't have a time to really vet out some of those um, things like you need to. You wouldn't necessarily say you're looking at particular qualities. You kind of just go based on an eye test on, on what you see out on, see there out on the field. Yeah, we see that on the field. And then I'll be honest, I use social media too. You know, if I can access their, their social media, I'm going to go look at their social media because I can find out. Let me just say this. When I'm recruiting, character is the number one thing that I'm looking for, mm-hmm. right? Good character. And so I'll go to their, their social media and, and look through their social media because I can find out a good amount of the character of that person through their postings and stuff. You've had more than 40 CCAA all-academic selections during your mm-hmm. tenure there. Uh, why is education so important to you, and is it something you really take pride in? 100% take pride in it because the main reason is because for 99% of, of female soccer players and female athletes in general, I would say, a college athletics is the apex of their competitive uh, athletic environment. So, in other words, they don't really have that, that, that next step of professional. So, the academics has to be an important piece because once they're done, what's carrying them is the academic piece of it. And so, um, I, ha- I push the academics uh, just simply because I, I don't think, you know, being an athlete and being a student, they're not mutually exclusive. The behaviors that, you know, a player plays with and mentality that they, they, they take with them on the soccer field and in the competitive environment are the same that they have in the classroom and vice versa. You know, the, the same uh, mentalities with which they approach their, their academic performance, those qualities are going to show up inside the white lines as well too, I believe. You know, you mentioned how this is their apex, but for you personally, in terms of your professional career, you played um, in the National Professional Soccer League and talk about kind of the, those experiences and how you're able to bring some of those things to your current job right now at San Bernardino. Yeah, those were, um, those, those are some of the best moments of my life for sure is, is being able to do that. For me, what I, I try and bring with that is my path to get there because I was always, you know, told that, you know, you're, you're not good enough or because of this, you won't achieve this, you know. And so I, that's the biggest thing that I try and bring into, you know, my coaching is that, look, right, if you work hard and you are disciplined and, you know, you have the right mentality, okay, then you can achieve and you'll be great. And that's just the one thing that I, I try and bring in, you know, to my coaching philosophy is that, is that, you know, it, it's not easy, but you do it the right way, it's worthwhile. Mm-hmm. And was there anything in particular about the college game or anything in particular about San Bernardino that attracted you to this particular position that you're in now? To be honest, it wasn't. It was more of a right place, right time uh, scenario um, because I had, I was coaching the Wichita Wings. The, the, they had a reincarnation of the Wichita Wings, the team I played for. And they asked me to coach, so I was coaching that professional team, but then they folded. And so at that point in time, um, I had come from, I was a principal, or assistant principal, and I made the decision not to go back into administration, so I wanted to stay out in soccer. And so then the opportunity to be the assistant coach on the men's side happened here at San Bernardino. And so I, I took it because it was, you know, it was I wanted to get into coaching, and it was the first real 
opportunity that I had. And uh, then the, that next year, the women's coach, he took a job up north which and left this one. Uh, this one was vacated. And, you know, I was right place, right time. And, you know, I, obviously uh, I did enough things uh, the right way that they felt that um, they'd take a chance with me. Now that you're the women's soccer coach, uh, do you see kind of more opportunity for yourself to build something here? And would you be looking to switch back to, to men's soccer? Or how, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I, I think the opportunity to build something you know, on the women's side, I, I feel that it's, it's a greater opportunity. And, and here's why. There, there's so much great soccer in California. And I don't have a really lucrative, actually, I don't even have a semi-lucrative scholarship budget. And so that's always going to be a limiting factor. But because of where we're located, it's not nearly as limiting as it could be. And so I, I think the opportunity to build something here is huge because of the amount of quality soccer that's around here. And, um, and just, the, you know, we're in a good place. We're in a great conference. It's competitive. It's it's just I just think it's just a good scenario to be for me personally a great scenario to be in to really try and um, and and achieve something uh, that you know quite frankly it hasn't been achieved. Why do you think the quality of soccer is is so high out here? Weather, the ability to to play outdoor soccer uh, twelve months out of the year, uh, I think is a huge factor. Um, because coming from Kansas, right, the season lasts from August until October, and then even in October it's cold, man. No, you don't, nobody wants to be outside, mm-hmm. and so uh, and so then that happens all the way until maybe April, and so then you're back outdoors April tournaments in the summer. So that's a factor. But then the other factor that that makes it good is iron sharpens iron, and so what I mean by that is. In Kansas, for the quality players and quality teams to grow, they have to travel to get the competition. So the closest place for them to travel in Kansas would be Texas, right? and it costs money. Right? And so in California, though, right, you can live, you're within an hour, two hours tops of being in a competitive environment. All right, one last thing uh, before we go. What is your message to young girls who might be looking to play college ball and what are some of the things that they might need to do to get there? Uh, my message would be a, a couple messages. One, seek to develop a relationship with the ball. Um, the one thing I'm seeing is players, they're, they're not, um, they're, they're losing some of the technical, their technical strengths because they're, they're so focused on like the tactical side of things. And, and I think that players need to make sure they have a good relationship with the ball. That would be one thing. The other thing I would say is, um, you know, you have to have someone give you an honest assessment of your, their level. Okay. Because I see a lot of times, you know, everybody, everybody wants that division one opportunity. And, but the reality is not everyone is, you know, at a division one level player and that's okay. All right. That's okay. But you have, someone has to be honest with that player and say, no, this is probably more the level you should be looking. And then the other thing is because there is no, you know, real future beyond college, right? Seek a place where you're going to be able to get your education and play, right? 
I have so many kids I know that that they want the D1 opportunity, and that's fine. But then they'll go, but they don't play for two years. And so there's two years of an opportunity to play and get your education that they could have gotten had they, you know, looked at a different option. And so I guess I would say, you know, just see, go somewhere where you can play because there's no such thing as as a as a as levels in my opinion. There's good opportunities in good situations. So look for the best opportunity and the best situation for you, you to play and get your education. Again, that was LeBaron Holloman of Cal State San Bernardino, and he was a former professional indoor soccer player who has been coaching for quite some time now, has developed quite the reputation there, um, having really having an emphasis on academics, and you can really see that there that college right is so important to get that education to get that degree because there is a life outside of sports you know you have to be able to do something after the fact it's so difficult um, you have to have a backup plan in some sense and that's what LeBaron Holloman is able to provide but one of the other things that I really loved from this interview that he mentioned you know we asked I ask you know that question of what advice would you give to young girls trying to trying to make it and his answer was one of the best that I've gotten which was develop a relationship with the ball have it with you at all times it doesn't matter what your position is that reminds me I used to see all the time like kids my age with basketballs right that's how the all the, the guards develop the handles that they have right because they are constantly with the ball dribbling it now, again, it's a little more difficult with a soccer ball in public, right? You obviously want to be careful, <laughs> right? You don't want to, I don't want to condone or advise you to do anything, right? Do not try it um, anywhere out in public where, you know, you could get yourself into some trouble. But, but like at home, right? Take it around the house with you. Dribble it around the house. Then dribble it outside. Maybe dribble it down the street, Right maintain control of it don't go too far right but take it with you to certain places and and practice your control those are ways to kind of help you get a leg up and help develop your how comfortable you are on the ball help develop your touch your technique just by doing something as small as that so that was something that i loved hearing uh, him say in that interview as well so it's definitely something to to think about if you're you know looking to improve uh, that's a small little tip that you can try to employ now a word from our second sponsor, Topical Gear. Topical Gear was formed in 2011 by a team of professionals from the orthopedic sports medicine field. Collectively, this team has over two centuries of knowledge in athletic training, biomechanics, product development, manufacturing, sports medicine, arthroscopy, and the pioneering of products in the orthopedic sports medicine market. Their team is constantly on the field or in the gym getting feedback directly from parents, players, coaches, and athletic trainers as part of their continuing effort to develop products that help increase female athletes' performance while keeping them healthy. All of their products are backed by professional published research and tested by real athletes at both the high school and college level. All you soccer players, parents, and other athletes out there Go to www.compressioninmotion.com and check out the T25 knee along with other shoulder and ankle products. And guys, you see it how often of so many different players unfortunately tearing their ACLs and it's a season ender, right? You don't want that to happen to you. Make sure you get onto that website, check it out, 
and if you can prevent it or you know at least do it take the necessary steps to help strengthen it then do it all right we are into the news and lifestyle portion of the show a lot to discuss here as well so much to get to First, we start off with the best FIFA player in the world. Finalists have been announced, so we're down to the final three. Megan Rapino, Lucy Bronze, Alex Morgan. I really think, right, this was purely based off of performance of the World Cup. I don't think this has anything to do with what they did with their clubs at all. Because Alex Morgan wouldn't even be on it. This is kind of like a courtesy call, if you will, for her to be among the finalists. It's between Lucy Bronze and Megan Rapino, And I think... It's very interesting, right? Because if we're going based off of World Cup form and based on who technically won the awards, right? So, like, Megan Rapinoe won the Golden Ball, right? She won Player of the Tournament, which technically means she should win this award. However, hold your horses. I really think Lucy Bronze has a shot to win this. I really do. Because in the past, we have seen FIFA... And the voting is not necessarily geared towards the Americans. I've definitely felt like the Americans or whoever plays in the NWSL, they don't necessarily get as much respect. Now they've been seen on the world stage, but at the same time, you could still argue. You could still make a case, and I'm sure there are FIFA members who will make a case that Lucy Bronze was better. Like, was the better overall player in terms of what she meant to her team for England. And rightfully so, I honestly think she will win the award. Lucy Bronze is my pick. I think they could potentially snub Megan Rapinoe here. It, it is possible. I, I do think it is possible. However, it is highly likely that she is going to get it. She should get it. But Lucy Bronze definitely deserves a shout as well for that award. Another interesting story, Heather O'Reilly will be joining Anson Dorrance's staff as an assistant coach. That's a great move. I mean, she's a great analyst. Hopefully she can make the transition into coaching. Uh, we need more like her in the field, and I think she would make a tremendous coach, so that's great for her. The Finnish FA has decided to do something groundbreaking by giving both the men and women's soccer team equal pay. Now, the Nordic countries tend to have more of a socialist background, so they are more in keeping things equal in that way, and they have other policies similar to that, like uh, free college education, free health care for all, paid maternity leave, things like that. They have all these different aspects of their society that have been trying to, you know, implement it into, into ours. And so it would be amazing for it to be as simple as that where here in america we could do the same thing but it's clear that the uh, united states soccer federation is a far more powerful entity and they are going to do whatever they can to maintain the power that they have over the team and that's the thing the team has so much power themselves because they each have their own brand and their own they're all superstars in their own right so that's what makes this whole mediation so interesting at the same time good news for finland and still a small you know chunk of progress being made over in, in one side of the world on the flip side we have another country who has decided to protest and that is jamaica of course they made their first ever world cup appearance in a big way but now team members such as khadijah bunny shaw chana williams now known as chana matthews of course for plays for the spirit right you know some of these names they have gone to social media. They've basically told the Federation that they are not going to play. The reggae girls are not playing until they get paid because they have been owed money 
over nine months of back wages that they've been owed, including matches for the upcoming qualification matches that they have upcoming for the Tokyo Olympics. So a lot to go on for Jamaica as a federation to figure out. But it's great, again, to see these women taking a stand because that's a long time, right? Nine months to not get paid. And I think uh, we saw a similar issue with the Nigerian women at the at the World Cup as well. So... You know, this is, a, a, again, a common issue, but we support these Jamaican women in the reggae girls and the stand that they have taken. We hope that they can continue to, to fight and, and scrap for what they believe in and that progress will be made and that they get the pay that they are rightfully due and owed and that the right thing can be done here. All right, one final thing in closing. The record attendance numbers are finally starting to take shape here around world soccer, which is exactly what we need. You're looking at the NWSL's record of just getting broken. 25,000, more than 25,000 showed up to Providence Park um, in one of the Thorns' more, more recent matches, their last home match, I believe it was. And then you have, over the World Cup, there were, on average, more than 20,000 fans per match. Again, stadiums there are bigger, but at the same time, NWSL is getting more. Europe is also seeing a similar increase. Barcelona Madrid saw crazy numbers. And then at the same time, you also have what most recently happened, which is really cool. The first ever women's Manchester derby between Manchester City and Manchester United in the FAWSL. That also shattered the FAWSL um, attendance record. So the fact that across the world, these records are getting broken is tremendous in every single way possible. And it means that we're only going up and we're going in the right direction. We're starting to get all of the things that we've talked about, right? The more money more attendance, the sponsorship. It's all starting to come together now, slowly but surely, and we are on the path here to making women's soccer as legitimate as it could possibly be. That is it for episode 26 of Give and Go. I am your host, Rotas Wadera, and thank you so much for tuning in. As always, we greatly appreciate all of your support. Again, you can get all the latest women's soccer news and information at www.girlsoccernetwork.com. Follow us on Instagram at Girls Soccer Network. Follow us on Twitter at Girls Soccer Net. And again, you can get this podcast on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. It's been a pleasure, guys. See you in two weeks. Peace.